There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Former U.S. President Donald Trump pleads not guilty to 34 counts of falsifying business records as he appears in court in New York. A Limerick businessman says his shops continue to be targeted by teenage criminals. Tonight, we hear from two businessmen appealing for change. And later, airport anti-drone systems will not be ready for the Easter weekend. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Donald Trump, the former U.S. president and frontrunner for the 2024 Republican nomination, has pleaded not guilty to 34 counts of falsifying business records after an investigation into hush money paid to an adult film actress. Joining me in studio to discuss this is Minister of State with Responsibility for Employment Affairs, Neil Richmond, presenter of News Talks Lunchtime Live, Andrea Gilligan, and legal correspondent at the Business Post, Catherine Sands. You're all very welcome along uh, to the programme tonight. We will be heading live to New York. But first, I just want to bring you in on this, Catherine, and where um, where we are at and what happened today. 34 uh, separate criminal counts of falsifying business records. Really an unprecedented day um, for the US to see a former president up in court. Yeah, very unprecedented. Remarkable um, is, is the word that I heard described it. Um, the indictment alleges that Trump falsified New York business records in order to conceal information before the 2016 election. So the 34 counts relate to uh, the payment of $130,000 that was given to Stormy Daniels, uh, an adult film star, uh, as alleged hush money. Um, now, the payment of hush money actually isn't the illegal part. The illegal part is how it was recorded in business records. It was recorded as legal fees. Um, and that was what the indictment related to. So a grand jury last month uh, voted to indict Trump on the charges, which means they believe there's enough evidence to bring against him. OK, and how did it um, you know, play out today in court? I guess there's an awful lot resting on this. This isn't the only um, charge that Donald Trump is facing. It's part of a bigger legal picture for him, and that's putting it lightly. Yeah, I mean, I think the image of him walking into court, um, you know, like you said, it's unprecedented that we have a U.S. president, uh, current or former, being indicted on criminal charges. You know, he walked into Manhattan criminal court today and he became a criminal defendant. Um, and I think that has just really never been seen before. And I think the look on his face when we saw him walk into that courtroom, you know, he looked so furious, mm -hmm. but he also looked so dour um, and, and kind of just very, very upset, I think, that he ended up in that situation. Um, there was also an image released of him inside the courtroom, flanked by his attorneys, 
And behind him were law enforcement officers. And I think it was kind of just a vivid visual reminder mm -hmm. that he's not in control when he's in that room. He's not the man in charge. And I think that's a really unusual position for him to find himself in. Um, also in that situation, we hear that, you know, Trump did not speak in court today. There was, I suppose, lawyers or people managing the situation with a person like Donald Trump that he will, he will speak out, he will get himself into, into trouble in this court situation. And that won't play well for him. Yeah, I mean, I think I heard that he did actually say the words not guilty. He did tell the judge that that was how he was going to plead. Um, but yeah, I mean, the entire uh, spectacle of it all with the layers of Secret Service, you know, we had court security, we had police officers, um, and then we had the former president of the United States being brought in and out uh, of a criminal courthouse. So it was really, really unprecedented. Okay, of course, whatever way you look at this, Andrea, it's all oxygen, isn't it, for Donald Trump? Um, it is a circus. It is that oxygen, though, that he thrives on in terms of media coverage and, and that swirling media circus around him. Yeah. I mean, you can nearly see yourself sitting down to watch this as part of a six or seven part Netflix drama. I mean, it has all the kind of hallmarks and, and all the characteristics of it. But in many ways, you know, he nearly has nothing to lose out of this, because when you look at the support that's been there, um, like as a spectacle today, it was somewhat akin to the the kind of um, imagery that we saw around the time of nearly the O.J. Simpson trial, there was still that kind of media spectacle, I felt, that kind of came, came along with it. But, he, you know, he has the ammunition now in many ways to kind of galvanise the supporters, as we can see from the, the footage there as well. Like, he can turn it to his advantage. Uh, there was talks of, like, you know, many people looking, even media outlets for to try and get video cameras or, you know, to get the recording equipment into the courts. That, that didn't happen. He That's been barred. They've literally been allowed, I think, a select number of photographers to go in, to go and, in and get those still images. They that wanted that, tonight. the streaming of it. And they wanted the, the, as was the ability to do that from, he wanted to get the kind of the, the photographs out of it so that, you know, you could nearly make merchandise, you know, it would become um, merchandise and equipment in, in the form of T-shirts, etc., and that kind of thing. But, like... In many ways, it's it's the last thing, you know, US politics needs, American politics politics needs at the moment. And I thought it was just, it was... Although not for the Democrats. Depends on what side of the fence you're on. Would well, you imagine they want this in many ways. You know, in, yeah. in many ways, this will be exactly what they want. Yeah. Uh, and Neil, um, you know, on that, like we're talking about this being unprecedented and we can kind of say all of these things around uh, Donald Trump that nothing will even mildly surprise us. But I think still that image... Um, for people of him walking into a courtroom to face 34 uh, separate charges um, it is quite stark, isn't it? And it is, it is an unprecedented day and historic in many ways. It's very stark, but it's the first day of many. There's other charges in other states mm. uh, ahead of Donald Trump, very serious charges. But the perverse thing is he's going to try and turn this to his political advantage. There's already talk that when he gets back to Florida, he's going to hold a rally. And there's nothing that your diehard Trump supporter loves more to think that their man is a victim that the establishment is out to get them, even though he's very much part of the establishment. So it is, it's, it is a circus, as you say, and you're watching it, but it is really worrying for American democracy that somehow 34 criminal charges could be turned to an electoral gain in certain states for Donald Trump. Of course, it all depends, I suppose, how this, how this plays out. But we want to cross now to New York, where correspondent Will Denislow is standing by for us. Will, thank you uh, for joining us on the programme. We're talking about it back here, but over there is where the action has been at today. Can you just give us a picture of how this all played out for Donald Trump in the last couple of hours? Yeah, absolutely. Donald Trump made his way from Trump Tower, his residence here in New York City at around 
uh, 1.30 or so local time, so this lunchtime here in New York. He came down uh, to the courthouses that you can see just a couple of blocks behind me. He turned uh, to the crowds. He put up a fist in defiance as he walked in uh, to the courthouse where he was then of course arrested outside the courthouse there are a few hundred or so of his supporters including the republican firebrand politician congresswoman marjorie taylor green among those supporters there are also a couple of hundred uh, of donald trump's opponents uh, so both very much making their voices heard as donald trump arrived he was in court for a couple of hours uh, he didn't speak to the media on his way in and out uh, of the court but donald trump was of course read uh, the charges against him. He pleaded not guilty to the 34 felony charges. And of course, we've had since then a response from Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan district attorney, as well as Donald Trump's legal team, uh, very much laying out their positions, giving us a sense of how we can expect uh, this legal fight to go forward. What is it that they have been saying tonight? And what are we expecting now to see happen, Will? We heard a very strong message from the district attorney, Alvin Bragg. He said that this wasn't a case that just revolves around that allegation that uh, Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's then fixer, uh, paid $130,000 to Stormy Daniels, the porn star. He said that it went much further than that, alleging that this was that payment was just a part of what he describes as a catch and kill scream. A, a scheme, rather, to suppress negative information in the lead-up to the 2016 presidential election. Alvin Bragg stating that Donald Trump repeatedly and fraudulently falsified business records to conceal damaging information and unlawful activity from American voters. So that very much gives you a picture of the 34 felony accounts uh, that, of course, all carry with them. They're a Class E felony, which in New York means that they all carry with them the possibility of a maximum of four years uh, behind bars. Now, a very different response, as you might imagine, from Donald Trump's legal representative, Joe Tacopina, addressing the media uh, after the court proceedings. He said the rule of law died in America today. And, of course, there have been plenty of Democrats saying that Donald Trump should uh, stand trial, saying that no one is above the law. Joe Tacopina said this case is evidence of Donald Trump being a case of being under the law. And Will, tell us about the support that Trump has garnered for this particular case. He put a message up on social media, didn't he, saying heading to Lower Manhattan, the courthouse, it seems so surreal. Wow, they are going to arrest me. And I can't believe this is happening in America. And the crowds did rally, didn't they? Absolutely, of course. Let's not forget that just moments after the indictment was announced last week, Donald Trump took to Truth Social, his social media platform, where he said that this was uh, essentially a weaponization of the justice system, that this was uh, electoral interference and was an effort to scupper his chances to reclaim uh, the White House in 2024. That rhetoric has continued over the past few days, and we've seen that really uh, resonate with much of his support base and has resonated financially 
um, as well as the physical support we saw outside the courthouse. We know that, according to the Trump team, some seven million or so dollars has been raised for uh, the Trump campaign since that indictment was released. We've already seen uh, his supporters taking to Trump social posting pictures such as uh, photographs of a mock-up of Donald Trump's mugshot uh, as a T-shirt uh, to even garner further campaign financing uh, going forward. So you can already see that this is very much being used by Donald Trump and his team to in further um, rally support for his position, uh, as we, of course, expect Donald Trump's efforts to reclaim uh, the White House to only intensify going forward, a case in point, of course, that Donald Trump is expected to address the media and his supporters in Mar-a-Lago, Florida, in a couple of hours' time. Okay, Will, thank you for bringing us up to date on all the activities uh, in New York. We do appreciate that. Thank you. Um, just to come back to our panel on that, we've heard how it's all played out and actually how both sides are playing all of this. Um, Catherine, I guess, um, you know, it, it's actually a question of this is, a, this is a big gamble, isn't it, really? And we heard Alvin Bragg, you know, he took this case. He took this as a state case when... You know, the federal law trumps the state law somewhere in America. And the feds, I suppose the, the, the defence will argue, did not pick up on this at the time that Michael Cohen was picked up, that others yeah. were picked up. And in, in that instance, nothing was done to Trump at that point. So there's a gamble, isn't it, taking this at state level? I do think the district attorney is under huge pressure um, with this case. I mean, he's not only taking a case against a celebrity client, he's taking a case against a former president um, who has undoubtedly, uh, you know, figured out a multitude of ways in which he's going to use this to his advantage. But the question of why now, I think, is still on a lot of people's minds. Um, why now in terms of the statute of limitations? But why now in terms of we're backing up into an election year? My understanding is that it's probably going to be a year before, if this case does get to a trial, before a jury, before it does get, you know, in front of those those jurors. And at that point, we might be backing up to primaries against the 2024 election. I mean, the, the timing is, is, could be potentially terrible for Trump. Yeah. I'm just interested in this politically, Neil, because, like, obviously you've been speaking and, and sort of criticising this in the way that, you know, um, how this is playing out for Trump, how it looks, the optics around it, the impact it'll have on America. There is business links. Uh, Donald Trump does have business links here in Ireland. How conscious are you of that? When you're seeing what's happening stateside, how this is all playing out, and criminal charges um, facing a man who does have business interests here in Ireland. Yeah, it's very worrying. I don't know if they're necessarily, at this stage, all personal links, or it's the wider Trump Corporation is being run by his sons, whatever. But Has it been flagged? Has anything been done at government level around this? Is that something, a territory you'd wade, in, wade into at all? I think it's very premature for that. You know, charges have only been announced or, or, or put forward today. Um, it's the political ramifications, really, that cross my desk at this stage that are of more of an interest, of a concern. And they are... But, uh, they are that you have the former president and potential uh, candidate for presidency facing very serious charges of a country that is one of the most con important countries in the world to Ireland and to Europe. What happens though? You know, it's interesting that's rallying all this support for potential. You know, and it, and it could, could well be that he's a front runner come twenty twenty four. What happens if it comes to the point that Trump does win again, and then all this conversation that we're having 
you've got to you've got to establish links. You've got to keep the relationship going, and you've got to welcome him with with, with open arms and exchange shamrock bowls in, in in Washington and all of that. Yeah, and that presents huge difficulty, but also Does presents really? huge opportunity. Does it really? we not park these things? Is that what happens? I think that's what happens. Is that not well, what happens? I think happens? you have to look beyond the individual and look at America. America is an extremely important country that's been hugely supportive of Ireland in every sense, not just economically, particularly this week as we commemorate the Good Friday Agreement 25 years on. But you have to look at the individual, you have to look at the politics at play. And we always maintain, every party in government in Ireland and opposition maintains mm. relations with the US and it's important that we do that. Yeah, and so you would continue to kind of call call it out and call out his behaviour and all of these things, even if he does become president, does rally support. Like, it's, it's something that's not out of the question here. Well, I think back, one of the most striking interventions was when Enda Kenny as Taoiseach went over in Donald Trump's first year and there was all the fuss about the wall and immigration and he made a very direct uh, intervention that Ireland is a country of immigrants. It's also a country that's always welcomed immigrants. And that was a good opportunity as well as a challenge that there was a very clear domestic propo uh, policy of Donald Trump that was abhorrent, to be and honest, that to Irish out? politics. It worked out very well that Enda Kenny was able to stand tall and say, this is the Ireland that we believe in. And was Trump in. listening? Well, I, he might have, might have been listened, but other political colleagues were and other businesses were, right. and that's why we continue to attract huge investment from the US. Yeah. Andrea, um, I, I guess, you know, and we've seen, you know, the, the, the circus around all of this, um, more so the fact is that actually with these charges, he does potentially face four years behind bars. Yeah, and, and like one of the other elements I, I heard in, in some of the um, commentary stateside, even before coming out here tonight, was just... The, the scope, I think, for him to even use kind of delay tactics with all of this um, and to, you know, I suppose, not engage, um, hold back and, and just delay the whole process. Mm -hmm. um, and, and how long, I don't know, he can do that for. Um, I don't know if, that, like, I don't know, actually know how long you can potentially do that and do the delay tactics. But I would have thought the concern with that was that you can play that and time that right mm -hmm. to, to coincide with the potential primaries around the, the Republican nomination. But like, I think ultimately for people looking and listening at this tonight, there is just something so bizarre with the fact that you have the former US president re-seeking nomination, as you say, with the business interests that, they ha that he has and, and the family have here in, in this country, and that this is actually going to galvanise support for him, not, maybe not necessarily pave the way back to the White House, but certainly paved the way back for the Republican nomination. And, like, you'd have to question, what is wrong with the system? That, mm. that, that this, this is potentially what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. uh, and we will have to see how it all plays out from here. There's, of course, all the goings-on in Mar-a-Lago as well and um, whether, you know, government was misled there and, and, and everything that he is um, implicated in there. So we'll have to see how it all plays out with various other indictments that may be coming his way. Uh, but my thanks to Catherine... Um, the other two are staying on with me. Coming up after the break, we speak to two business owners on their experience with crime and how they want it tackled. Do stay with us. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Welcome back. A Limerick businessman says his shops are being ravaged by teenagers and he wants parents to be held responsible for their children's crimes. But what more can be done at a government and societal level? to tackle this kind of crime. Well, Minister of State Neil Richmond and News Talk presenter Andrea Gilligan are still here with me. I'm also joined by owner of Copper and Straw in Dublin City Centre, Stephen Kennedy, People Before Profit Councillor, Hazel de Nortoon, and uh, via Skype tonight, we're joined by businessman Michael Gleeson. You're all very welcome along to the programme. I'd like to come to you first, uh, Michael, if I may. Uh, you are a businessman. You actually own a number, number of, you and your family own a number of shops in, in Limerick. Uh, Limerick City. And tell us what you're seeing, how you're seeing your business targeted right now. Well, it's always happened every I started in business originally. But the last few years, especially since COVID, it's just been getting intolerable. We're seeing gangs coming on bikes, scooters, e-motorbikes, even motocross bikes. They come into the filling stations, cause havoc, knock over stands, threaten staff and then tear off on the bikes and it all happens in 60 seconds, 90 seconds. Staff are getting attacked hit. and, you know, trying to keep staff with this, it's, it's, mm. it's getting very difficult. Yeah, tell us, um, you know, and we'll come back to you in a second. We're just trying to establish a good line there, uh, Michael. But um, I just want to come back um, on this one and also talk to Stephen Kennedy because you've joined us because you're facing a very similar situation in terms of your business being targeted. Um, and and what, what's happening for you, and we mentioned staff there and staff being intimidated. It's been really traumatising, hasn't it, for the staff in your cafes? Yeah, I've got two shops in the city centre. I've got one on Aston Quay, which is 100 metres from O'Connell Bridge, and then one on Aaron Quay, which is beside the forecourts. Mm -hmm. And in the last six months, both of those shops have been robbed, um, which has been a very challenging experience for my staff. On one of the occasions, the robbery was at knife point and staff were locked in the toilets. On the second occasion, the robbery was in the early hours of the morning. So thankfully, Nobody was there. We don't carry cash. It was a pointless exercise, but there was fairly significant damage to the premises. So, you know, as a business owner, as, as somebody who's trying to run a business in mm -hmm. very challenging times, obviously the additional challenges of crime, burglaries, antisocial behaviour is very difficult. Do you recognise the people that are carrying out the crime? Are you seeing repeat offences? Are you saying, like, if it's not, you know, these, these burglaries and these attacks at knife mm. point that you're talking about, daily intimidation and that, are, are, are you seeing it follow um, a particular, you know, avenue in terms of who, who is responsible here? Yeah, look, I think there are certainly parts and pockets of the city centre where there is very regular and very continuous drug dealing and drug use. And certainly mm. on many occasions, um, we would see the same faces. Uh, it's not usually just one individual, it's groups and gangs. It's individuals wearing uh, hooded jackets, masks on bikes. Um, mm. It's a very sophisticated operation. Um, but yeah, that's something that we see quite regularly. Yeah, um, I want to bring Michael back in. Um, Michael, if you're still with us, um, 
you know, we are talking about theft being on the rise 40%, but shop, shop theft in particular being up 100%. Uh, you're say, saying that you're seeing that uh, play out, obviously. When you call the guards on it, um, what's happening? What's the response been? The response from Garda Shikana, I have to say it's fantastic. Like every single call gets answered. The lads come, they do everything they possibly can. They very often catch them. They very often bring them before the courts. And that's where it all falls down. It's taken as a non-crime, as a slap on the wrist. And these are the guys that will go on to be the local thugs, the local criminals, the, the local burglars, the local drug dealers. And we have a chance to to nip it in the bud early on, to let them know that the law is a serious thing. Um, and it just doesn't seem to be happening. Okay. Um, on this instance, um, you're, you're, you're talking in terms of, because some of them would be sort of underage, who would be in the juvenile um, juvenile territory, it's kids essentially. Um, you want parents to be held uh, responsible on this, do you, Michael? Well, it's just a chat I had actually with a gentleman inside in the shop. Um, and he said to me one day, well, if the kids are doing the crime, should the parents not be, you know, paying the fine? And I, I, I think it's only right that they should. Like if my two kids are out there and they do something wrong, I put my hand up. I'm responsible for them. Um, and, and that's the way it should be. So wh why not? Why shouldn't the parents be responsible for the actions of their children? They are their guardians. Michael, you say that um, you're losing up to €1,000 a week. What are you seeing being stolen? What's being targeted in your shop? Well, you see that you, you have the different types of, 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 of um, shoplifting. You've got your organised gangs, gangs that come in cars. They drive in one to two cars at a time. They'll come out six or seven people. You could lose 180 to 200 euros in that instance in one go. Then you have the 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 the... the um, juvenile gangs that come in run around the place curating havoc um, one day there last week there was nearly 25 euros worth taken in one of those hits and then you've got your everyday shoplifter you know who just walks in tries to fill up their bags and walks out and you know on top of that then you've got the guys that try and set up uh, a theft tend to steal something put it back in a shelf when they think no one's watching and trying to make a case out of it your, your, your head's on a swivel 24-7. Your heart is in your mouth from the minute you open the door. And it shouldn't be like that. You're also not covered insurance-wise uh, when you are targeted in this way. Is that right, Michael? No, there's nothing there to cover you for theft, unfortunately. You're at the loss. It comes off the bottom line. It, comes, it hits your ability to pay your bills, to pay your electricity at the moment which has gone up nearly 60-70%. Um, it's just making, you know, and, and the, one of the hardest ones, it's the staff. Like staff coming to you saying, I, I'm leaving, I'm going, because, you know, this fellow was roaring and shouting and screaming at me at the till. And then if you stand in to say, please, sir, please, sir, can you be quiet? Next thing you have shouts of defamation coming at you. It's, it's, I'm lost for words some days. Uh, you've painted um, a really uh, strong picture of, of a very difficult situation um, for you, Michael. And I'm sure it's not just your situation. I'm sure this is something that we are being repeated if the crime statistics are to be believed right around the country. Um, I want to bring the panel back in here. Hazel, I want to come to you on that, this. Um, you work in particular, um, you know, with 
maybe young men in, in these communities, young men who may be steered into this path or who, who, who may be those who are, you know, entering shops causing problem intimidation mm -hmm. um, for people like Stephen, um, for what Michael is saying him and his staff are facing every day. What do you think um, about this type of intimidating uh, store crime? And wh why do you think it's on the rise? Mm -hmm. Well, just first to say is that, you know, nobody should be putting up with that sort of behaviour in their workplace in solidarity with the staff and the workers and the owners today. I do have a cafe in Ballyfermot as well, so I know how difficult it is at the moment to be running it. Um, and I think what was, and I've been on the show sometimes probably or the last while talking about this as well, is around the interagency approach. And what has that has come out with is around the necessity of really getting to the basis of what's happening in communities. And last week they launched the Building Communities Response Report there in um, for the Dublin South Central area. Mm. And what that identified is a, a, an importance around the early intervention, around getting into working with these communities, um, identifying probably training up people in around in a trauma-informed approach because of the particular, we're looking at a juvenile approach and young people that might be kind of brought into this way of going about activity, peers, peer pressure, yeah. social media. And what I identified is, um, you know, getting in there early, working on the different levels of where people are coming from in society. Um, looking is that at happening? Um, well, what the report actually did identify, and which is how government can get behind it, is that one of the issues is we're not having the top level support. So from the likes of the HSC to SLA, the guards, Dublin City Council, those people that can make the decisions aren't available to come around the table. So while the youth workers are, the communities are, the community development staff is, there's nobody there at the level that can make that decision to really make that change. Um, and there's also a gap that you'll be aware of within the likes of the HSC, within Tusla, mm. um, and that's kind of probably true policies and within society that's having an effect right across the spectrum. Um, and then that leaves kind of Although we have all the reports, we have all the programmes, the interventions that we need to make, we don't have the supports to do it. And that's not palatable when we're going to people and business owners to saying that let's not look at a justice approach, let's look at a community intervention approach. Yeah, because actually we heard from Michael there and what Michael is saying is, you know, uh, for parents to take responsibility for their kids who are running right in, 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 his, in his shop mm -hmm. and for them to pay the fine or, you know, uh, pay for the crime. Yeah, and serve I, the time. That's yeah. what that, that's what he's saying about all of this. But you don't believe that that approach would work as a deterrent. Is that what you're saying? No, from experience, it doesn't. A justice approach actually has more harmful than it is long-term effectiveness. And I think the community approach is always, I've only ever seen being effective in this way. And one of the, the mm. systems that came out of this report was a multi-system multi family approach. And that was about working with the, the children's caregiver to give them the supports, to, to like put those systems in place at a early okay. age to make sure that those that are on the margin have the ability to integrate into society. Um, the bottom line is, um, you know, Hazel's talking about what's happening in the community or not happening in terms of uh, an approach to act as a deterrent. Um, Fine Gael keeps saying it's the party of law and order. Um, you know, it's something that you speak regularly on, um, on Neil. And yet, clearly from what we're seeing in terms of the crime record and the stories that we're hearing from Stephen and what we're hearing from Michael, um, crime is on the rise and the government isn't doing enough about it. Crime is on the rise over the last couple of years, but it got to a very low level. There's a couple of things that need to be done. We still and is have, doing. I think. And I think. No, I just want to say we yeah. do have in terms of of thefts that they are the highest level. I think in fifteen in fifteen years in shop thefts, we've seen a hundred percent rise in the space of a year. In the space of the year, absolutely, and it's yeah. completely but going unacceptable. Beyond that, going, going beyond pre -COVID, that, not blaming the pandemic. No, no, I wasn't blaming the pandemic. But if you take the situation of six years ago, assaults are now lower than they were there. Um, 
you know, public order offences were lower. And where we're seeing them particularly lower is where the Guardi have been able to put in place Operation Citizens. That's high visibility policing in our city centres, engaging not just with the business owners, but also with the communities. And one thing, yes, you say rightly that I've spoken about law and order, but one of the things I did from the back benches was bring about the Community Innovation Fund, which took uh, cash from criminals, seized cash from CAB, and we're actually driving that in. The first four and a half million of that has been allocated to community programmes across the most disadvantaged areas. That's only Hold-ups, that's what Hazel appears to be saying. The, the still funds are going there. to be put in place to most importantly um, hire and allocate the resources. So when is that going to happen? It. It's starting to happen. It needs to happen quicker, but it is actually starting to happen. Why is it taking so long? Well, there's a distinct lack of, say, for example, educational psychologists in the country. This is the, 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 the this is how far you have to go back. It's not just about saying, throw money at the programme. You also need the resources, you need the individuals, you need agencies working back together, you need is the buy-in from the Gardaí. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering how long you've been in government for. Yeah, no, we've been in government for quite a, a, a long time. We've also faced a, a massive pandemic, a massive recession. Yeah. And we've also looked at where the, actually is going in, Claire, quite importantly, is where we are seeing the resources are there going up to new record levels. And we are committed to that, also committed to providing yeah. the supports as the Minister of Retail to the just, businesses I'm that just, are suffering. I'm just talking, and we'll come back to Stephen on this, um, just talking about, you know, what Stephen is talking about there, about his staff being held at knife point, that... You know, sure he's saying that the Gardaí are great and they're doing all their all they can, but clearly he's still under threat. The business is still being targeted. Uh, Michael's at his wit's end. Mm -hmm. Like, what's government doing from that point of view about actually implementing change now, making making shop owners, making businesses feel safer? You're talking about high visibility. There were a thousand Gardaí who promised, mm -hmm. I think, in the budget for 2023. Shops are having to pay for private security. That's right. where it's going to now. So, so we don't have we don't we don't have guard the protection. Um, for, for businesses that feel under threat. So three key points to that. First of all, we are recruiting those 1,000 Gardaís. That campaign started last week. But we're also recruiting 400 civilian staff to allow the Gardaí, particularly in Dublin city centre, to get out from behind the desk and into the communities. And thirdly, we are increasing the maximum sentences for those who assault people in the workplace. And I think that's something quite key as well. Um, all right. We will get on to those Garda recruitment figures because I actually think it's, you know... I know that, that there's a big broad figure of a thousand Gardaí. Clearly, there won't be a thousand Gardaí, you know, on the beach this year. New Gardaí, we're not going to see that. Yeah. Well, that's a thousand. That's Gardaí. the promise. But we're not going to actually see. I mean, that's the promise that funding is there for a thousand Gardaí. Yeah, but we but they're look not at going the, to be out in the street. Claire, by we the look end at the amount year. of people that have gone into Templemore this year. We've seen two recruitment classes already this year. And crucially, again, it goes back to also recruiting that civilian staff, which is well underway, okay. which will allow the existing Gardaí get out from behind their desks okay. and into their communities. And look, we did hear talk from the AGSI, I'm sure, at their conference all weekend about how Gardaí are feeling in terms of their morale, their ability to do the job and the pressures they're under as well. No doubt about that. Um, Andrea, in terms of the types of crime, crime we're seeing here, um, we are hearing from Gardaí that there is hybrid crime occurring, that you do have, say, these gangs running around causing, causing problems, real problems and real threats, and you also have poverty-induced crime that you are seeing families, you are seeing mums going into shops mm. and shoplifting in order to feed their families. Well, as Michael touched on and, and Stephen there a few moments ago, like you have two different types of thieves. You know, you have, you have, you have the organised theft that will um, roam around parts of the country, target a certain town and, and hit, you know, X, Y, Z number of shops. And then you'll have thieves that are effectively feeding a habit. Mm. But the reality is that no matter how many more Gardaí are promised to be on the street at the end of this year or interagency approaches, committees, subcommittees, task force, etc., mm. 
None of this is going to solve your problem today or tomorrow. None of this is going to solve the €250,000 that Michael Gleeson and his family are down in loss of earnings. Like, none of this actually addresses that. And I think a lot of it goes back to the point around taking the, the personal responsibility that, that comes into this as well. And, and a lot of reaction, you know, to this when Michael spoke about it yesterday, because I think people feel, and a lot of people feel like you, like you and, and business owners, they feel let down. Like, they feel that, you know, you, you look at any week, you look through the, the local court sections and the, the local media anywhere around the country, and it's, it's the same names, it's the same faces with 50, 60, 70, 80 previous convictions. And nothing has been done to address that. And no amount of Gardaí on the street. You talk to any of the guards, you talk to people down at the AGSI conference, every one of them will tell you the same thing, Claire. Morale is low because mm. you can call the guards tomorrow. The guards will come, they'll catch the people because in many right. cases, let's be honest, they know who they are. They can't get them through the system. And the same thing, repeat offending, continues to happen. Interesting, though, what Hazel had to say there, and I don't know whether you'd agree with, Steve, with it, Stephen, as someone who has been um, targeted, that the justice system is broken and doesn't really work for these individuals. And really what you have to look at is at community level, with Gardaí, with various agencies, to get in there so this trouble does not occur in, in the first place. Would you agree with that, with your, I guess, newfound and unfortunate experience in the area? <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. Um, like, I think you have to question the logic of concentrating so many drug treatment services within uh, a, a single location and in the city centre. And I think there is a role for more community-based supports. We have pharmacies right around the country, and there's a role for pharmacies in terms of dispensing medications for people who absolutely need um, those medications, those supports and those services to treat what is very acute and very chronic uh, mm -hmm. drug addiction. Um, and I think even just picking up on Neil's point, like the current approach just isn't working. No one Garda station can solve the issues, the very complex issues uh, in relation to antisocial behaviour that's arising from um, drug use in the city centre. And I really feel that there needs to be a much more coordinated approach for the entire Dublin city centre mm -hmm. and the surrounding area. It needs to be led by the assistant commissioner for the Dublin metropolitan area, and that individual should be accountable for it. We need a targeted, coordinated, proactive approach with specific additional measures and that is separately resourced. And in addition to that, I think that it, it isn't just a policing matter. There's a very important role for Dublin City Council in terms of doing everything that they possibly can to support businesses that are trading in areas with high rates of antisocial activity. Because if those businesses can take off, if we can survive mm. and thrive, we will encourage people to come into challenging parts and pockets of the city, and that in itself will act as a natural deterrent to antisocial mm. uh, behaviour. And it's a simple solution. Like it's a, it's a we're not going to solve the drugs problem overnight. Do you think you're being ignored? Um, in that you're saying it's a simple the, solution. Well, We've had <clears> you know <throat> uh, Neil's party in government mm. for mm. more than a decade now. Mm. So I'm just wondering why it hasn't. Why it hasn't been done? And maybe you can answer me that, that for me, Neil. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, but a lot has been done. I think that's important to say. And you talk about statistics, but there are parts of the city now. We look particularly at the northeast inner city. What that was like ten years ago compared to now. There was a dedicated task force that went in, that brought mm. the community together, set up again by Enda Kenny as Taoiseach, Pascal Dunne, who is the local TD. That's delivered, Claire, real results: mm. new housing, new community developments, uh, a new Garda station, and we've seen the crime rates be driven down in that part of the city. Stephen, but Stephen absolutely, and we his need to see that. Business across. doesn't feel safe, and if you broaden it out beyond Dublin. 
Michael's at his, his wit's end. No, I fundamentally agree. And but now I've... there might be different issues at play, um, you know, in, a, in a Dublin city centre versus, you know, what we may see elsewhere, although Limerick City, you know, may have... Um, you know, similar issues to what you're talking remember about. What Limerick City was like, is, is pro- remember what Limerick City was like 17 years ago and the dedicated work that went in to remove um, the organised crime gangs and the drug situation. Limerick City 17 years ago had a horrendous reputation, mm. but so much but was done. And there was saturated with Garda resources. That's why admit, that was successful. It wasn't just Garda resources. resources into it. That's as well the reason, as like... And the resources have been pumped there. They've pumped into the North East Centre. There is a considerable amount of resources being pumped in that need to be increased and they need to be brought into the coordination. To be honest, I think we all actually agree with what needs to be done, but I think we have to acknowledge there has been an element of success. And I think we have an element of success um, in certain um, parts of the country. We have to be fair, Claire. I mean, that there I'm, is I'm, I'm, I'm asking you because I'm looking at the crime stats and what we are seeing, and we're seeing a huge jump, and it's not just pandemic related. I said this spans, mm. this is a jump mm. on 15 years you go ago. To, that we as are I said, seeing. you go to parts of northeast inner city Dublin, you go That's to parts of Limerick City. You go to pockets across the country where things have considerably improved because there has been that approach. We need to All see right. more the, of it. The, no, I was going to we say need just, to see like, more of it, says Neil. Yeah, but the O'Connell Street, the, the new opening of the O'Connell Street district or sub the station mm. that, that's opening and there was huge fanfare about that and I think everybody welcomes it and it's a great move. To the best of my knowledge and certainly I can be corrected in this, there's, there's a four guard and one sergeant going in, into O'Connell Street. It's not a, it's not a fully operational guard mm. station. Yeah, and there was huge insu- fanfare But it's ensuring that there's a constant guard of presence on But there isn't. But there won't be, Minister, there is because, because they're the not things, there for the no, full but, operational no, hours. But what there will be, will there be a guard of patrol constantly? And this was a direct ask of the business community and the local community that they wanted guardy on the beat on O'Connell Street 24-7. Mm. That's what this will enable. Yeah, but it's the capital, it's the capital street mm. in our capital city. To my mind, that should have been no question about that. It should have been... Mm. 24 hours, it should have been a, a yeah. subsection of Store Street. It's a breakdown of fundamental policy right across society. Is You know, there's, you can't fix it unless you fix all of the issues. Like you're looking at housing, you're looking at health, you're looking at education, you're looking at business, you're looking at everything. Mm-hmm. And that's the issue that we're going to have. And one of the lists that we're on, that they list seven reasons for like the trauma-induced care that can push people into this sort of lifestyle. And I do think fundamentally the next one that's going to be on it is how we're treating people in homelessness at the moment mm-hmm. and the children going through homelessness. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the next big, next big redress we're going to have in this country because people sitting in hotel rooms for three years where are they meant to go like you know it's it's breaking down the structures of the family mm. home and then we're trying to be calling for early interventions housing crisis we can't get people into jobs to stay here everybody's emigrating we can't get in the hsc too so everywhere and that's yeah. why we can't get the roles and we're right. closing down the beds it's okay we have to leave uh, that there for now my thanks to the panel neil will be staying on with me because after the break we're going to look at why the airport's anti-drone system is not ready for Easter weekend. Do stay with us. Welcome back. New anti-drone technology at Dublin Airport will not be operational in time for the busy Easter weekend. Uh, Minister of State Neil Richmond is still with me and editor of Air and Travel magazine, Own Curry, also joins me on the panel. Own, you're welcome to the programme. It's not the first time we've discussed this. We have seen the airport in a state of some shutdown six times in, in recent months, and yet this brand new equipment that they're talking about is not yet operational. What's the big hold-up? And is it down to who's trying to put it in place uh, rather than the equipment itself? Combination of things. Um, there's there's a, a problem for every solution when it comes to these things around mm. aviation. Uh, the regulatory issues... Um, the way it was implemented, it brings it back really to how we went around solving this drone problem at Dublin Airport. Six shutdowns, a lot of problems before Christmas as well. The 
We, the Gardaí uh, were not given the operation of the drones. These, the, you know, the technology is pretty simple. It is 90% effective, about 90% effective. Uh, you can uh, cut the radio signal, it returns it mm. to where it was, or you can just drop it, which obviously has big implications if you're dropping it on a road on the perimeter of the Dublin airport. Mm. Um, the airport police don't have any authority outside that fence. So the big question when all of this complaining was going on and it was very dramatic uh, when the six incidents all took place at a time when traffic wasn't very high. They, who, was, who would um, operate this technology? Um, Dublin Airport were given the operation of it. They've given it to the fire service. The fire service makes sense because they're the ones who clear the birds. They, you know, they're the ones who clear obstacles for... But they're still uh, having to train people up and they're still delays because they have to engage with, with, with Comreg over the technology they're using. Yes. Um, and, and the question is, with all of this, we're facing into one of our busiest weekends, I think, you know, up to half a million, really, uh, people. A little bit oh, higher than we expected. Uh, you know, 103,000 on Monday, Claire, and that's uh, the record day last year was 106,000. So how at risk are we of drones again being a problem over the Easter period, knowing, as they do, that busy periods obviously lend themselves to more risk and more opportunity for people with, 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 um, with drones. And when you have to get staff trained up, and we also have, you know, Air Force One flying in next week. It's a huge issue because, you know, had the Gardaí been given the technology, uh, given the, the responsibility for doing it, you wouldn't have the same regulatory hurdles to overcome. OK, let's come to Neil on that. Uh, why weren't Gardaí tasked with this job? You're talking about big infrastructure here. Yeah. You're talking about like a really important infrastructural uh, piece for the state, Dublin Airport. So the decision was taken that it's Dublin Airport, so Dublin Airport, as in the Dublin Airport Authority, was given the, the, permit, the license to procure the equipment. Was that the right to train thing to staff. do, though? That was what the, the minister deemed in consultation with DAA and also brings in the Irish Aviation Authority. Who yeah, very do you think, clear... though, would you have done differently? Because it's, um, it's something you've talked about, I think you've, you've risen at, uh, you've, you've talked about it, you've risen it as an issue. Um, it's it's for, unusual internationally. For several years. Yeah. The, the police so force normally operates. If this, is, unu operated, if this yeah. is unusual, why are we doing it? Uh, one of the few issues I actually haven't risen, believe it or not, Claire, this isn't something that I've spoken about in length in the doll either as a minister actually, of backbencher. Okay, I want to read a quote then on drone-related disruption from, from you. It's from from the Transport Minister confirms that Dublin Airport and indeed all Irish airports are prepared for such disturbances uh, this is around drone activity when we saw instances yeah, yeah, sorry, at London that Airport. And Irish travellers can rest assured that any possible drone attacks will be dealt with swiftly. That was you in 2019. 2019, yeah. So that was when I was in the Senate. So you did bring it up. Yeah, that no, I thought you something. meant more recently in relation the to the last six. And the was Shane Ross. And that was four years ago. Four years ago, and it was definitely a massive concern because that was in light of what was happening in Gatwick at the time. But, but certainly, it's a bigger concern here now no, because it's, a it's happening concern, here. And, it's still... and it was happening in London then, and you were saying to Minister Shane Ross, do something about it. Yeah, and I'm certainly very disappointed that we're so, in the situation that we are, but I think so were you we have the situation... And why was it ignored? I can't tell you what, what happened back in 2019. I raised it on the order of business in the Shannon in relation to Gatwick and gave the warning us. and gave the press release and mentioned it in the chamber. Yeah. But more recently, what I think the most important thing is we get this in place as soon as possible, yeah. that the Irish Aviation Authority engages with the DAA to make sure that the regulations are met and that staff are suitably trained. Because this Should is the Gardaí be doing it? 
To be honest, I'm happy to go with the decision that the best placed person is the DAA based by the minister, um, but I'm happy to be corrected if the situation changes, okay. to be honest. Do you think that that should be switched up and maybe a temporary measure, uh, Corey, in this, uh, in this instance, uh, that we look at, you know, while the DAA might put something in place that the Gardaí quickly and swiftly take over from this in order to see that we're not facing problems down the line, making sure it works? It makes a lot of sense. There are fewer regulatory hurdles. There are fewer, you know, there's, you know, the, the legislation is in place. The airport police and the fire brigade have limited powers. You also have this big issue about our other airports. Dublin Airport, um, Gardaí would be able to implement the same uh, technology mm. to protect Shannon, Cork, Knock, uh, Farron 4. So all of, those all of those things could be solved a lot quicker and a lot more easy than is being done. There is another issue mm. here. Right. Publicity about drones attracts drones. Yep. We saw that in Gatwick. All right, OK. Should we be talking about That is it from us. Um, my thanks to the panel tonight. Uh, that is all from us, as I say. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. And you can find us now uh, on the likes of Instagram and TikTok uh, tonight at BMTV. But from everyone here, good night and do take care. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.